on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We break down all of the latest OU football news. Kayla Williams entering the portal, Dylan Gabriel coming to OU, the new staff additions, guys declaring for the draft. I mean, there's a lot to get to. Also, Cole Kublik joins us to preview the Alabama-Georgia National Championship game, and we finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, January 6th. Well, really, it's we're recording it the morning of January 5th, but whatever. And you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in January from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play in Riverwind's $80,000 Rockin' and Reelin' giveaway. Drawings are every 30 minutes, and grand prize winners will be selected at 11.59. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, still the one. Now, recording this Wednesday morning, Ted, we had, we had a few people ask, where the hell's the new episode? What, what are you guys doing? Which I get it. There's a lot going on, but we did. We took last weekend off, and oh, what a mistake that was. My God. Content overload. Content overload. We got to get rolling. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Please leave us a five-star review and and a nice comment while you're at it. Also, if you would like to sponsor the podcast, you can email theoklahomabreakdown at gmail.com. Okay. Things that have happened since the Alamo Bowl. Uh, (laughs) Since I did not go to sleep before getting on a flight to Hawaii, Oof. A lot has happened, and I, I guess we, we got to start with Caleb Williams, right? That's that's the only place to start, and with the things that you and I had been told down in San Antonio, this was something that we knew was coming from from all the conversations we had down there with guys on the roster and guys on that coaching staff. It, it was clear that Caleb had not told anyone anything concrete and you could kind of read between those lines and deduce that he was going to enter the portal uh, eventually. 
Now, I, I think it is important to start off reminding people that Caleb Williams came to OU to play for Lincoln Riley. And, well, Lincoln Riley is no longer at Oklahoma. And uh, I think even though people say you, you choose the school and not the coach, that's, that's just not true. That, that's not how this thing works. It's all about relationships, and Caleb Williams wanted to play for Lincoln Riley. So there is that. But what would you think of his statement he put out there? Because it's kind of he, – he still left the door cracked a little bit, saying that OU is still an option. But I just – I can't see how that's the case, man. I just really can't. Well, I can't either, and – the problem for Oklahoma is they don't have time to sit around and wait to see if, you know, he chooses Oklahoma. You know, they don't have time for that. They've got to they've got to put something in place to where they're in a good position moving forward. And, you know, and just so happens that they, they had a guy that was willing to, to jump on board right away. Um, yeah, the statement is interesting. You're right. He came here to play for for Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley's now gone. And, you know, I, I guess that opens it up for him to, to maybe take a look at things. And, and, you know, since the landscape has changed around here, see what's going on across the country. Um, it's also an opportunity for him to, because of what's going on, cash in on NIL money that's floating around out there. And I know that um, the development for the NFL is, it was in the statement that they put out, but you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think that that's to me. It's, it's, it's gotta be an NIL thing. Um, and you know, maybe a go play for Lincoln Riley thing, you know, like, like you said, that's who he came here to play for and stands to reason that whenever that coach leaves and he's has the ability to follow, well then maybe he's going to do that. Yeah, uh, I think some of the fan base uh, saw saw Caleb Williams' statement and then, you know, a couple hours later, like, Dylan Gabriel's coming, right? And they're like, wait, what? Like, we, we still have a chance with Caleb, but this is kind of the way that I saw it. You had a couple of weeks where, and I, I, I am not naive as to how this works, where, Oklahoma is technically the only team that's supposed to be able to talk to him and re-recruit right. him. We all know that that's not how it works. And with how involved Caleb's dad, Carl, is in this, like, I'm sure every team in America was contacting his father with their pitch. Like, that's, I mean, this is, this is big business. That's how it works. But so for a couple of weeks, once Brent Venables was hired, you had... Brent Venables and everyone he was bringing with him, recruiting him to stay at OU. You had Hall of Famer Bob Stoops recruiting him to stay at OU. You had all the guys that were being retained on the offensive staff. So DeMarco Murray, Kale Gundy, Bill Beanbow, Joe John Finley. Like, and then you had Jeff Levy coming in and he was recruiting him to stay. And all of these guys, and I would assume his teammates and everyone like, the fan base, I'm sure, was tweeting them, like all that stuff. Like you had all these people saying, stay at Oklahoma. It's the best place to be. Stay at Oklahoma. And 
even after all of that, he decided or his family decided, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like his dad is driving most of the decision-making here, but it, even after all of that, after all the re-recruitment of a couple of weeks, they decided that it was still best for him to explore his options. In my opinion, that sends a very clear message to Oklahoma and to that staff. And I, I just don't understand people. They're like, oh, well, they should have waited. They should have waited. You know, bringing Dylan Gabriel's going to make him not want to come back. Listen, that's, this, is, this is how college football works now. And you look at, you look at whether you want to call it the QB carousel, you want to call it musical chairs, I don't care. But the last thing you can do if you're OU is just sit there and wait for Caleb Williams to make a decision and not make moves. Like if the musical chairs analogy is the one you want to do, like you don't want to be the person left standing when the music stops. Right. And I I don't know what else they could have done because I know this. It, to me, it feels like Caleb Williams said, okay, hey, I'm going to go look at my options, which, hey, I'm all for it. This is how college football works now. You don't have to like it, but these are the rules. He said, I'm going to go look at my options, and if I can't find anything better, I'll just come back to OU. That does not sit well with a lot of people around here, including myself, right? Like, you, you know, yeah. you, you, you have a certain amount of pride if you are, you know, part of this program or a fan of this program or, you know, on that coaching staff. And I I don't know, man, Oklahoma is not a, ah, if I can't find anything better, it it's, it's not a safe school, (laughs) right? It's, it's not a fallback plan. So I, I don't know this whole thing. It's unfortunate, man. Cause he's, in my opinion, he's the most talented quarterback in the country. And I think he's got the highest ceiling of any quarterback in college football. But OU did what they had to do. It's that simple in my mind. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Here's the thing, you know, whenever it's we're going to see if there's something better out there, it's a money thing. It it doesn't matter to me what they say. It's a money thing. And, I, you know, if that's that's the route they want to take, then I get it. They're, They're able to do that. Um, but I, there, it's not a question of like, see what everyone else has to offer. Like, what else can they offer you? you you're the quarterback. We're going to build the offense around you. I almost everyone in college football runs very, very similar offenses. There's, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there's variance between offenses, but not a whole lot. It's almost all the pretty much the same stuff. Okay. And as far as NFL development for NFL, there's there's no one person out there that has a monopoly on quarterback development for the NFL. You look at all the top quarterbacks out there, almost every one of them were developed by different guys at different times in different offenses across different eras of college football. So I don't want to hear any of that. There's plenty of guys out there that can develop quarterbacks. No one has a monopoly on that. Um, it's about money. The only difference out there between any of the schools is going to be money. 
I mean, there's not a better situation for you to uh, have a chance at a title, have a chance at a Heisman, have a chance at a conference championship, all of those things. There's not a better place out there than the University of Oklahoma. The only better situation out there is going to be some type of NIL deal. And I'm glad that the University of Oklahoma didn't didn't try to piece some ridiculous deal together for I I don't want to be in a because if you do that to Caleb Williams then what's next who's next right the running back the star wide receiver the star defensive end is everyone going to start stepping back and say well well what's what what do you have in store for me as soon as you open up that floodgate and I know it's coming in in some form or another but I, I just I don't like the whole situation, and I've been saying this since Lincoln left. OU will be absolutely 100% fine. We've had a lot of really good quarterbacks that have come through this place. Kayla Williams isn't the first. He won't be the last. Oklahoma's going to be just fine. Right, and so from from the people I've talked to, it sounds like if this was just strictly up to Caleb, I'm not sure all this would be happening, right? It, he, he sounds like a kid that just wants to play some football and win games, but I mean, there is, there's the family component of it. There's the business side of all of this. And I understand, you know, making money when you can, like I get that, but I fear that. And I know that they said the professional development is the biggest piece of it. And that's going to be the deciding factor, but, it just doesn't feel that way, right? Like it feels like a name, image, and likeness situation. And listen, I know there are there is a group for Oklahoma that is that is raising money. And remember, the school can't do any of this. I, I've seen some people be like, "Well, why didn't the school find more form?" It's like they can't be directly involved in this. There is a group of Oklahoma guys, alums, former players that are basically getting the fun together and they're raising a pretty good chunk of change, man. They are, but I, it's my understanding that there was a plan that was kind of laid out to Caleb Williams and his family from, from people connected to Oklahoma, not people at the university. Cause remember that's against the rules, but that I, it just wasn't enough. I, I was told that, the same thing happened with him at Georgia that the conversation was had and Caleb Williams family said, that's not enough. So now I, I obviously wasn't sitting in the room or on the phone when these conversations took place, but it, it really feels like he's just going to end up at USC to me. And, you know, you can think what you want about Lincoln Riley. You can think what you want about Southern Cal, but you know, they got, they got some powerful people out there that'll be able to get him some serious NIL changing. God knows they need it. I mean, they need someone to bring that program back. So it sounds like his dad and his dad's doing interviews with like Yahoo and talking to these reporters on the phone, which is, which is very interesting. <laughs> and, you know, just, it, it seems it's just odd. It's a little odd, and, it, I, and it, you, you assume that his dad has his son's best interest at heart. Like, you assume that, but 
I just it sounds like sounds like Caleb Williams' dad has some big plans and has some some big demands, Ted. Oh my God. It's just I I I guess welcome to 2022 college football. I think it's all laughable. And how about a slap in the face to Reggie Bush, who uh had to give his Heisman back and you know maybe they get Caleb Williams by laying out this huge NIL endorsement package for him to come out to to USC but yeah I I don't know people have their opinions about it um I think it's absurd this this is this is not the intention of the NIL situation and we talked about this whenever it first came out. I am 100% for players being compensate, compensated for their name, image, and likeness. If people want to pay them to come out and sign autographs, I'm totally fine with that. I think it's great. If a, if a business thinks that uh, having a player endorse their product is going to help them, I'm 100% for it. What I'm not for is massive funds of funny money put together for fake. And that's what these things are. They are fake NIL deals. They're not real. No one's going to pay a college quarterback multi-million dollars to endorse a product. Because here's the here's the truth. I Caleb Williams, that like fans like him right now, but no one cares. As soon as he leaves, the next quarterback at Oklahoma is going to be the new big thing because fans are a fan of the program. They will always be a fan of the program. The players, they don't move the needle in college football like they do in, in the professional ranks. It's just it, this is not the intention of this rule, and it's being, it's being used to, I'm not going to say destroy college football, but it's this is not this is not a, a good direction for the sport to go in, but it is it's it's what people clamored for, and you knew it would be abused, and here we go. Right, and I I can't imagine college football. And listen, I'm for the movement. I know a lot of people say that oh, it makes it really hard on the coaches. Well, those guys get paid a shit ton of money to deal with it. Like I, it, it is what it is. But I, I don't think college football is ever getting to the, you know, to the NBA level where you're like, hey, I'm a LeBron fan. Like, I'm a Durant fan. Like, that's, that's just, that's kind of not what college football fandom is. Yeah, there'll be zero fans of Caleb Williams whenever he leaves Oklahoma from here. I, I mean, people, I'm sure, will, will thank him. And I, I, I think the... The really frustrating part for OU fans or disappointing, whatever you, whatever word you want to use, is that he just seemed like the guy, like the next OU guy, right? With the way that he embraced everything, going back to his recruitment, right? The the Sooner Summit and organizing that entire thing, and just like he was all in for OU. And then you had you you look at the season, like the the absolute magic of the comeback in the Texas game. Uh, and then, you know, how his teammates seemed to react to him 
It just he he had it for for OU fans and the fact that like he felt so all in for Oklahoma, right? And he's you know he's tweeting recruits and like all that stuff, like doing all of that stuff, and then all of a sudden portal, and you're just like, wait, what? I thought you were I thought you were all OU, man. I, I think that is. That's gonna that's gonna be something that every fan base is gonna have to get used to, is where just like man, it felt like Caleb Williams was gonna be Mister OU, like the face of the university, for the next couple years, and all of a sudden he's like, you know what, guys, I think I might want to see other people. <laughs> so it's just, well, it's, it's it's weird, and it's gonna, it, it, frankly, it's gonna take some getting used to for sure. It's a reflection of of society. It's a reflection of our culture. Um, we've, we've seen the AAU situation, you know, what it did to NBA basketball, right? Um, guys bouncing around, everyone's friends. You just go play on the next best team. And it's the same thing. Uh, you know, youth sports, you got travel baseball teams where kids playing on three different teams. You've got, um, you know, seven on seven leagues where it's basically just a MVP, squad from a bunch of different schools you know in and i'm not saying what which one is better or worse but it wasn't very long ago that you're you were tied to your school that's where you played sports was for your school and um you know there was there was team building there with your guys that you grew up with and played with for multiple years and that is it's not gone but it's been massively diminished and it's coming into college football with the transfer portal you know no longer do guys want to come in work build their way up it's 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 just a reflection of what we have the environment we've brought these kids up in to where if you've got a better opportunity over here you go and take it I mean, you just bounce around to where the best opportunity for you individually is, and you can see it playing out in college football right now. And just that—that's—that's that's what it is, and it's going to continue to happen. So, something that uh, a lot of people were making a big deal about, and I saw it. And you know, when a dog, like you, make a weird noise and your dog like tilts his head. <laughs> yeah, this was my reaction. That, that, that was exactly my reaction to Joe Castiglione and Brent Venable's joint statement on Caleb Williams entering the transfer portal because never seen something like that. And I, I think a lot of people saw that and were like, damn, look at how important Caleb Williams is. And listen, I once again, I think he is the most talented quarterback in all of college football. So yeah, he's a big deal, right? There, there's a reason this is getting the amount of coverage that it is getting but when i saw that my reaction wasn't look wasn't like damn look at how important caleb is it was huh that's odd because and i i have not talked to Josie about this i've not talked to bv about this but that felt weird from them it and and, and i know that college football has changed and like You've got to show support for your players, especially a player the caliber of Caleb Williams. But then, then I started going down a rabbit hole of conspiracy thoughts. Said, and I was yeah, like, hmm. "Let's go!" And, and you know, you know, I love love me a good uh, conspiracy rabbit hole. 
And I was like, that really doesn't line up with the guys I know, you know, when it comes to BV and Joe C. And then I was like, man, Caleb Williams' dad's awfully involved in this. They're awfully concerned about his image and his brand and how he's being presented. And what's good? I don't know anything. But part of me thinks that that was some sort of test from the Williams family. Like, hey, say we, we want you guys to say something. And at that point, if you're Joe C and BV, you're like, like, what do you say? No, like, no, you want to keep the most talented player in all of college football. So you're going to be like, okay. And I, I love how they did kind of send a subtle message to all the other recruits and all the other players in the country. Like, hey, come here, NIL, win games. Like, this is OU. But I just, I saw that and I was like, hmm. And it just made me think, man. It made me think like, we're hearing all these things about Caleb Williams family and their, and their demands or, or requests, whatever word you want to use. And I wonder, part of me wonders if that was uh, on the list of requests. Maybe it was, I don't know. I, I thought I was like, huh, that, that is, that is interesting. And maybe it was just to let everyone know right away that it's not like they've been doing nothing. They've been trying to work with them on, on putting something together. But let me tell you why I would suck as a coach. If a player came to me and said, I'm going to enter the transfer portal. I want you guys to put out a statement to help my image. I would say, get all of your stuff out of the locker room, out of the dorm. We'll see you later. Thank you. Good luck and goodbye. That's just how, I mean... I don't I, I think he's really good. I do. But I think OU is I don't think we need him, man. I just I don't think we need him. I think I, everything that we're doing is way more important than this one dude. That's just how I that's how I operate. I I'm with you. I, I understand what you're saying. But it'd be awfully nice to have him. Because we saw, dude, we saw and this is this is the most frustrating part for me. He just looked as good as he's looked all season long in the bowl game. Yeah. Polished, decisive, explosive as a runner, you know, pushing the ball down the field in the passing game. And the guys that put together that game plan are sticking around. That's, that's the frustrating part for me is like, he just looked as good as he has looked all season long as a quarterback, like playing the position from the pocket, on the move, decision-making accuracy like all of it he just that's what happens when you have a center take over quarterback responsibilities right that's ty darlington Darlington. just a rising star baby and i'm hoping that uh i think ty hey some people are after ty a little bit i hope i hope that i hope that my man darlington ends up sticking around but yeah that's the frustrating part for me it's like dude you just you just looked as good as you've looked all season and now it's like oh I need to go find someone that's going to develop me as a player. It's like, you you just got a couple of weeks of development and look at what happened. Like when someone built a game plan just solely around you, it just, it's, that's the frustrating part for me. I don't care about the NIL. Go get your money, man. That's, that's just how it's going to work for these quarterbacks. Like it is what it is, right? If his dad wants to find the biggest dollar figure, I'm all for it. If he thinks his son is, is the next Mahomes, well then, 
Personally, I think he shouldn't worry about the NIL money and he should worry solely about the football component. And then he could get a half billion dollars like Patrick Mahomes did. Thank you. By the way that he plays in the National Football League. Thank you. But it's that, it's that I mean, that's how simplistic my thinking of it is. And I can't be convinced otherwise. But I'm not, I'm not mad at Caleb Williams. I don't, I understand some people are, I'm not like, it's just, this is college football now. And it's just unfortunate, dude. Like all of these new rule changes, this is, this is probably the pro the why OU fans maybe look a little crazy right now. All of the new rules are, have worked against Oklahoma. Like we're the first big program that's just like, oh my gosh. Like look at it. Like you, you look at Lincoln leaving and everything that's happened since. And once again, we think that the program is in a stronger place moving forward than it was. But the players entering the portal, like you got your quarterback in the portal looking for the most NIL money or professional development, whatever you want to call it. But it's just like all these things have happened to OU and it's it's all like the negative or the maybe the unintended consequences of the new rules and they're all happening to the Sooners. So it's just like, damn it. Yeah, well, it, it has, it's been a lot. It's been a lot to process uh, over the last, I don't know, 45 days or so. But and I'm not mad at Caleb Williams either. I just don't care. Don't care at all. Zero. I lose no sleep over it. I don't think about it. I don't care about it. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to come in and do an unbelievable job. I think he'll be great. And I honestly think it, it's going to help the rest of the team offensively where you have a guy coming in that knows the system, knows it perfectly. There's no bring up to speed time for the quarterback. It's start spring ball and go. I think it's going to be great. And when it's all said and done, I don't think OU fans are going to be looking back and saying, oh, my God, Caleb Williams ruined it for us. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I, I just – it doesn't matter to me. I think our program is in such a good spot. I think we're building this thing the right way. I don't think we're, we're bending over backwards and, like, totally exposing ourselves for one player and I don't I don't think that's the 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 best way to build your program moving forward I like where we're at yeah and last thing on Caleb Williams before we talk a little Dylan Gabriel what USC it seems like that's where this is headed for him I mean Georgia had some serious buzz but once again I was told that what they presented the Williams family with wasn't you know, wasn't enough. Now, can they come back to the table with a new offer? I'm sure that that could happen. Uh, some people were saying a new you know, offer on development for the NFL. Is that what they're going to come back to the yes, table with? We, what you, you can be the next Stetson Bennett. You can yeah, do look it. at this new drill that we've got for the NFL. Stupid. Yeah. But uh, some people are like, well, if Joe Brady gets hired at Miami, well, I, I believe they hired Brian McClendon, who was the interim head coach for Oregon. He's going with Mario, and I think he's going to be – I think he got the co-OC title down there for, for the U. That seems unlikely. And then you've got LSU with Brian Kelly. Oh, my gosh. Please tell me you saw his interview 
during the LSU Kansas State, the Texas Bowl. By the way, LSU that they had like no players, so I'm not going to judge what happened that game. But he, he even he was like, "You can't judge me for my accent. I'm from Boston. We don't even have an accent." I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" I was like, that's literally like you packed the car in the yard. That's everyone. That's like the one <laughs> accent we all can do. Oh my God. We don't have an accent. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if Mike Dinbrock, their new OC is going to get the Williams family uh, fired up about going to LSU. I, I do know that Ole Miss, even though Lebby has moved on, like Lane Kiffin does have a good reputation when it comes to, just offensive football in general, but developing quarterbacks and Ole Miss is in play with Caleb Williams, or at least in contact. So I, and then the one I keep coming back to, and I I don't think it's going to happen because I just really haven't heard anything about it, but Notre Dame makes a ton of sense to me. And maybe it's just because I love Tommy Reese and that offense. it, It looks a lot like what you see on Sundays. And if you're talking about professional development, I think that I think that that would be a good spot for him. But the one thing that people keep bringing up that I or the one thing that people I think keep ignoring, maybe is the best way to put it. Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were fantastic players. There's no doubt they're fantastic players, but they were so good because they had forever to throw the football. Go back and watch the 2017 stuff and the 2018 stuff. Stand there in the pocket for like 10 seconds. Like having a good offensive line and good skill talent around you, it's pretty damn important to playing quarterback. And the USC thing, that's why it makes me chuckle a little bit. And I do think, hey, Lincoln couldn't convince Beatonbow to come out there. So we hired Josh Henson. That's a hell of a hire, right? He's a really good offensive line coach. I'm not going to pretend like he's not. But their offensive line stinks right now. So if you want to talk about professional development and all that stuff, like, okay, good, good luck. Maybe that is the best way to get, you know, to get trained to be a high round quarterback, <laughs> to be the, you know, yeah. the first overall pick is by having yeah, a be good training line. for whenever you go to Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like, hey, he's done it. <laughs> he knows what it is. But that's the that's the funny part to me is like, it's not just you. It, it, it's the system, but it's like the guys around you. And I'm not going to make it. I'm like, USC is going to have really good skill talent. But the big question mark with that program right now is the line of scrimmage. And that's the, it's the same thing at Miami, which I don't think is in play. We saw what just happened to Ole Miss's offensive line against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. I mean, whoa, what, 10 sacks? So you talk about professional development. I, if, if I was Caleb Williams, I would, I would look for a spot that's got some depth at offensive line and that can protect me and keep me clean and keep me healthy. It's almost like Oklahoma is that exact spot, but I'm just saying. Yeah, well, that all makes a ton of sense and it's well put together and well thought out but they're going to the place with, that offers them the most money. Yeah, probably. Which, good for him. Make your money. But hopefully taking the money in the short term doesn't, doesn't hinder his long-term earning potential. We'll see. I mean, listen, I'm cheering for the kid. 
He's a fantastic talent. I, I don't think he's coming to OU. I don't. So we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. But it certainly feels like USC to me. Uh, Mario Williams entered the transfer portal. Uh, we were all really, really excited about that kid before the year. Had some moments this season, like there's no doubt. He's got speed. He's got explosiveness, the suddenness. He just, he didn't quite make the impact I was hoping he would make on the team this season, but I was excited for his future. Sounds like he had kind of ghosted the baseball coaches at OU. So we'll see where he ends up. Doesn't seem likely that he'd be back at OU either. Uh, we'll see what Jalil Farouk does, a childhood friend of Caleb Williams. So when you talk about the domino effect of Caleb leaving, there, yeah, there's there are going to be some guys that came to play with him that maybe end up going wherever he ends up. We'll, we'll see. But we know this. Dylan Gabriel has come. And we knew this was a possibility the second that Jeff Levy was hired. And Dylan Gabriel is one of the guys, you, you go back and remember when, when Hype took the Tennessee job, Dylan Gabriel is one of the guys leading the charge, you know, publicly supporting Jeff Levy being hired as UCF's new head coach. Now they end up hiring Malzahn and Levy ends up going to Ole Miss, right? So this feels, this once again feels like what we have started calling the Levy effect, man. This is, this is a big get. Like all things considered, you lose the most talented quarterback in college football and you bring in a guy of this caliber a couple hours later. That's it's pretty damn good. And I don't know what else to say. Like the kid can play. This kid is this kid is not a bum. Like this kid, if if he plays at his highest level, like what top 10, borderline top five quarterback in all of college football? Like you go back to what Dylan Gabriel did in his freshman year. Like, remember how we were talking about this kid? What was that, the 2019 season? And the best part about it. With 2020 not counting as a year of eligibility for anyone, and he got hurt, broke his collarbone in what the, their third game this year, he got three years of eligibility left. Three. So, like, yep. this, this could be the guy for the next couple of years for OU football. And he's got talent, man. There, there's no doubt. He's played in 26 games and has thrown for 8,000 yards and 70 touchdowns. He's ran for you know, several more uh, athletic. He's a left-hander. And, you know, just kind of watching the way he moves around and plays, he's he's a gamer type of guy. He's He does remind you a little bit of Baker Mayfield, the way that he moves and, and throws the football. And um, I'm excited. I think he's going to be great. Um, from everything that I've heard talking to Lebby about him, uh Absolute 100% across the board stud, stand-up player, leader, everything that you want in a player. And this is before um, before he was coming to OU. Uh, we had the conversation about him. So I, I'm totally on board. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think he'll have a huge year next year statistically. And he'll be, you know, OU will be a top five offense next year. And he'll be, you know, statistically one of the best quarterbacks. A lot of things change when you change the emblem on the helmet, right? A lot of people notice uh, whenever you change the emblem on the helmet, you go out and play the way that he has. Yeah, and clearly 
a big advantage, not only just for Dylan Gabriel, but for everyone on the offense. Like he knows the system, right? And I bouncing around the way that I did in the NFL, like I cannot, I cannot emphasize how, how important is like coming into a new situation and already knowing the system. It's like when I got cut and whatever, you know, one of the eight times or nine times, however many times I got cut and I went back to Buffalo and I already knew Greg Roman's system because I was in it the year before. And you just get in the room and you're like, yep, know it already. Let's roll. And then even some of the newer guys, you could maybe even teach them some things. Well, that's, that's it, whenever your quarterback knows it. Oh, he's huge. the orchestrator. Like that's the that's the one that makes the most sense. Like he's he's got the the ball in his hands every single play. Whenever he steps to into the huddle or up to the line of scrimmage, and he knows what's happening, that really changes the flow of everything. And I imagine that if you've got a guy that's out there trying to learn as you go, everything kind of probably can be pretty choppy. But if he knows what's happening, it seems like it would make everything flow for everyone else. Yeah, but. Uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that a bunch of former players, including guys that are still playing on Sundays, uh, were tweeting Dylan Gabriel, uh, welcoming him. That that felt a little orchestrated, and usually when that happens, that's our man, Cale Gundy. I mean, no one keeps relationships with the former players like Cale Gundy, and I don't think that, Oklahoma, the staff, I don't think they're worried about how that made Caleb Williams feel. It's like, once again, they had, they had a couple of weeks to work on him. He still entered the portal. It's like, all right, we're going to show, throw support behind this guy. Like, Hey, let's show him some love. Let's show him what a, being part of the OU family is all about. Now I didn't get the request. Dang it. But I don't know if you did, Ted, you probably did. You always I did get not, <laughs> but I did not. I, it was kind of cool to see some people like, wow, this feels awfully like scripted. It's like, well, yeah, but what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a bunch of former players showing this kid support? I loved it. Well, it's it's the the best advertising that you just can't pay for, right? To get, I don't know how much you think Kyler Murray gets paid per tweet. I mean, a ridiculous amount, like to endorse something and. All of those different guys putting it out there, that's that's big time. And it helps spread the word really quickly. And it sends a message pretty quickly as well. It does. Okay, we got a lot more to talk about. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 560 locations in 41 states offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, Jaffa Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Also, dog parks, people putting in more dog parks so your your, your furry family uh, members can can have a place to relieve themselves. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see the red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing has the coolest OU shirts. Their shirts look great. They're buttery soft, and they last forever. Gabe is sporting a really nice one right there, Oklahoma across the chest. Their shirts are the best. Opolis also has great OKC Thunder gear. 
Go to opolisclothing.com, that's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com, and use our promo code TED, T-E-D, for 15% off your entire order. That's opolisclothing.com, and use promo code TED for 15% off. Okay, so some other things when it comes to the roster. Kennedy Brooks declared for the NFL draft. Jeremiah Hall declared for the NFL draft. Delarian Turner Yell declared for the NFL draft. Mike Woods declared for the NFL draft. Pat Fields is going to Stanford. Look at how, look at the big brain on Pat. That's pretty, that's pretty damn cool. But got some key players that are going to the NFL. But that's what happens at OU. I, I don't understand. Some people are like, oh my gosh, we're losing all these players. It's like, yeah. It was this last year too. <laughs> this is how it's been around here for a long time. But hey, Kennedy Brooks, when you look at it, ends the career with 31 rushing, uh, 31 rushing touchdowns, finishes his career seven yards per carry. I mean, just a really good college football player. Is he going to be missed? Yes. Did we sleep on him going into this season? Uh, did we get a little, little caught up in the Eric Gray hype? Yes. But Kennedy Brooks is a hell of a football player. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing significant snaps on Sunday. Now he's not that fast. He's not that strong. Like he just, dude, he just gets yards. That's what he does. Production. And at the end of the day, production matters. I, that's seven yards of carry in college football is huge. I mean, that puts him in some really rare territory um, with some of the best ever. So um, yeah, I, it depends. Like wherever you go, you never know what the fit's going to look like, what the roster looks like. You get the right spot. I don't think there's there's any doubt that Kennedy Brooks can be a productive back in the NFL. The one thing that you you I don't know that you necessarily question it, but you feel like the scouts will is the NFL's moving way in the direction of backs that do everything, like that are all around backs. It's not nearly as specialized as it used to be and didn't have a whole lot of opportunities catching the ball at Oklahoma, but I think it's something that he's capable of doing. Yeah. Uh, a guy that did a little bit of everything for this program, Jeremiah Hall. I want to miss him, man. He was, you know, clearly a captain, but blocking in line, blocking out of the backfield, catching passes, handing him the football. Like he's just, he, he's a winning player. And he's he's a fullback, and he's going to get drafted. Uh, I think he's going to be the top fullback on a lot of people's boards. And I, I hope he ends up somewhere that can use him uh, like a chess piece because I, I think he can have a long, successful NFL career as you know an, an offensive weapon, but also a special teams guy. It'll be it'll be fun to follow Jeremiah's career and just. Represented the university himself, uh, that team really, really well. He is—he's one of my favorite players around here in a long time. No, he's been great. Uh, love watching him in all the different positions. Um, loved that block he had in the Alamo Bowl. Took a safety like twenty yards downfield on that long run by Eric Gray. Um, obviously, he can—he can catch the football. He's had some unbelievable catches in his career. Uh, he's a thumper. You can line him up in the backfield and and run all of your two back stuff. Swiss Army knife, man. And in the NFL, whenever you're limited with 53 man roster, if you can have guys that can be uh, great blockers, ball carriers, catch the ball, play all all the uh, the special teams units, 
that means a lot. It means a lot to teams whenever your numbers are really limited. Yeah, and Senior Bowl will be huge for him. There, there's no doubt. Okay, DTY, just defense wasn't the same when he wasn't on the field. Uh, I know the guy that was was heavily criticized by the fan base, but you know ultimately may have been the most important player on the field for this defense in, in the 2020 season. And yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, where he ends up if he gets drafted or not. You would think he'd be a a, a later round guy. Maybe maybe he tests really well, and that because he's he's got some pretty solid tape I, I mean he doesn't have the elite measurables you're looking for in a safety but he he can play we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with his professional career but I I have a newfound respect for him after this season because of what I think he meant to the success for them on the defensive side of the ball like he was he was the guy that made everything go he's one of the guys that you know sometimes the best way to show your values whenever you're not out there. Right. And we saw that with him. Defense just absolutely fell apart whenever he wasn't out on the field. And whenever he came back, well, what do you know? They started playing way better. Uh, I, I think that over the last three years, he has probably been the most consistent player on Oklahoma's defense. I'm talking about um, sure tackling in the right place, directing traffic, um, reliable in in everything that you you consider across the board. Really, really good player. And yeah, I don't know. NFL's weird. You just never know. You know, some guys in college um, are absolute studs, don't have the right fit in the NFL, and fizzle out. Other guys are you know players that you're not sure what they would do at the next level. Go somewhere, have the right fit and just totally thrive. I mean, we've seen that uh, with some OU guys from the secondary recently. So who knows? I know the NFL likes guys that tackle well, that are physical, and uh, are reliable, and that's that's DTY in a nutshell right there. Yep, and then Mike Woods did some good things. He clearly has a pro body, uh, had some flashes at OU, but once again, a guy that, you know, we we were really excited about, but you know, battled battled an injury there in the middle of the season. But you know, wish him the best. I don't know what else to say. Like the the guy, he he certainly's got the size and all the measurables you're looking for for an NFL wide receiver. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. He he produced at Arkansas and did some good things at OU, but it, it's not like he was a thousand yard guy this season or anything close to that. So we'll we'll see. But I, I was really hoping. He'd stick around in, in Levy's system. I think he would have he'd have really benefited from that. But hey, made his decision, and we'll see we'll see how it ends up. Yeah, well, he benefited from a very similar system at Arkansas, and that's whenever he put up some nice numbers. And you feel like he'd have some carryover, and 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 feel like um, you know he'd be able to take advantage of it. But off to the draft he goes, wide receiver. It's tough. What do the NFL rosters usually keep five uh, receivers and then maybe a couple practice squad guys? It's tough, man. There's a bunch of really good wide receivers out there. Yeah. All right. Some of the man. There's so much OU stuff to talk about. The the staff huge addition for Brent Venables this week. 
Todd Bates. It's like the quietest thing, too. It's the biggest thing that happened, in my opinion, and totally overshadowed. Everything's been overshadowed by Caleb Williams. Correct. Todd Bates is joining OU staff as the co-defensive coordinator. will also coach the defensive tackles. He's got a bunch of other titles on there as well. He He's a younger guy, right? Only 38 years old. Played at Bama. Played at Bama 2001 to 2004. It's sad that I'm uh, 38 is now young to me. You know, it's like, hey, this guy's he's, he's he's younger young. than I am. <laughs> uh, but this is a guy that was named National Recruiter of the Year by Rivals back in 2019. Has coached and recruited some really, really good players at Clemson. Man, this feels really important. I mean, really, really important. This was a name that once Brent Venables got the job, we, you and I were like, can he convince Todd Bates to come? And we, we knew that BV had him in his sights, and he got his guy. And you, you saw the reaction that this caused from some big-time defensive line recruits on Twitter. I mean, that is a very good thing when the prospects are reacting the way that they did. But ultimately... Once OU is in the SEC, we we have talked about how important it is that before OU gets into that conference, they got to get better at the line of scrimmage along the offensive line and defensive line. That is why this is so important because Todd Bates has gotten and will continue to get big-time defensive linemen to come play for him. And that is going to put OU in a significantly better position moving forward as they enter the SEC. This is a massive hire for Brent Venables. And I think out of all of the people that Clemson lost, other than Venables, like Dabo's got to be pissed about this, about this one. And that's, that's how you know it's a big deal. Pro you to get this guy. So that's probably why it took so long, too. You know, right. there was there was probably a lot of a lot of back and forth as to um how exactly to get him here. So he uh did you see his poetry skills, rhyming skills? I don't know. Like what yeah, what was that? No, I and someone had told me about that before that uh that's kind of kind of his thing, and it was pretty good. My wife, if my wife notices it and sees it and forwards it to me, that means it, it's uh, it's big time and uh, it caught her attention and it was awesome. Really good. Yeah. Uh, another staff edition. Big Phil. Let's this go. was when, when uh, you and I were in the hospitality suite down at the Alamo Bowl and we were told that Phil Lodeholt was coming back and we both just did like a yes. Because, first of all, Phil Lodeholt is one of the coolest guys ever. He's got the biggest head you've ever seen, but he is one of the coolest dudes. And he's coming back to be part of this coaching staff. He's been an offensive line analyst for Ole Miss. And from from what I understand with what he did at Ole Miss, he's going to do something similar at OU. And I think this is big. He, He played a huge role at Ole Miss in developing their younger offensive linemen. And that's in the offseason. That's within the season. 
but really working closely with those guys to try to speed up their development process. And that's so big in college football in my mind, because how often do we see be like, Hey, they got five really good starters, but if a guy goes down, Oh boy, watch, watch out. Like getting those young guys up to speed, building their confidence, building their skill set, like all that stuff. And to have a guy that did it at the level that Phil did it, man, this is once again, this feels like a very big deal. So now you've got Bill Beanbo, who is definitely one of the best doing it as an offensive line coach. Now you got a guy that played a long time in the NFL and ha- has been working with these young, young offensive linemen. One thing I was thinking about, Phil, kind of a soft-spoken guy. Now, there's an intense side to that, man. Don't get me wrong. But kind of a softer-spoken, like always smiling type guy. It will be a nice blend between him and Beatenbow when it comes to coaching up the offensive line. It'll be a nice, uh, maybe good cop, bad cop situation there in the offensive line room. So I was, you know, I was fired up when, when we were told about this, Ted, and uh, I'm glad that it's finally out there so we can talk about it. That's a big dude too. You talk about like just a presence. It, yeah. it matters. Like when you're going on the recruiting trail and I know that, you know, he won't, you know, the, the rules when it comes to recruiting or recruiting, but when guys come to visit OU and they say, they see Phil Lodeholt, they're like, Oh yeah, that guy was an offensive lineman. Yeah. He probably knows stuff. <laughs> like he's just, he just has such a presence about him. I, I think the first time I met, load I was I think I'd been in the league for like three or four years and with some big dudes in the NFL and whenever I saw him for the first time I was like holy shit this dude is gigantic uh massive massive guy uh but you're right um he's I'll tell you what whenever you have former players NFL guys on a staff there's there's a lot of hesitation from other coaches because there are a lot of a lot of guys that go into the the business the coaching business that have played and don't really want to do the work right a lot of coaches have worked from the ground up student assistant to GA coached for a long time didn't make any money and then, you know, they finally get their opportunity and they, they grind it out. And, and guys that come in that, that played a lot of times just kind of float, don't do a whole lot. And what I've heard about Phil is he's embraced it. He's, he's done a really good job. He's been a hard worker. Uh, he's done a lot of really good things. And um, Lev absolutely loves him, loves, loves what he's provided. And uh, I'm excited to have him. I think it's going to be great. Man, you've got, you've got some serious former players on the staff now, man. Yeah, and, and the thing about Phil, because he came back for a summer and worked out with us when I was playing. Like, that dude knows how to work, and when a guy is that big, you think, okay, maybe, maybe he just gets by by being huge. Like, no, no, no. He was so big that he had to have really good technique. Like he had to play with good leverage and, and he had to have good He's over the use. size threshold of where, you know, most tackles typically are. He's just so big, dude. He's so Huge. big. But that was one thing, like every, 
you know, after all those workouts in the summer, like he would work with all the tackles, like technique, like all this stuff. And he, I mean, he, he was good at it. Like I would sit there and I was like, I'm never playing tackle. I'm too small, but he, I, I just watched him kind of go through it. And he had a very good demeanor and a very good way of just like explaining things. So I'm, I'm pumped for that. Uh, last staff thing. I will say uh, real quickly on load. He is massive, but I did watch Smitty break his ass in a summer workout, just like everyone else. Oh yeah. That, that was the first day I met him uh, right after I met him. Uh, saw him. I watched. It was two uh, hundreds out on the track day. Oh yeah, that's yeah. A, that's not a fun day. That is <laughs> not a fun day. But also, that's another guy who the players. We all know how it's going to go. Ted, like the players are going to be bitching about the workouts and how much they hate Schmitty, and Phil can relate to that. That that is important yeah. to have someone like you need that coach slash therapist to. To go vent to every once in a while, and Phil can provide that for uh, for some of these guys. Okay, last thing: several reports out there that OU will hire Bama's corners coach Jay Valai. What do we know about this guy? I, I I know this: if he was good enough for Nick Saban, he's good enough for me. Like it's as simple as that for me. He's a guy that he's from the state of Texas, played at Wisconsin. He's coached at Texas, Rutgers. Uh, quality control at Georgia. He was part of the Chiefs staff. Uh, he was part of the Eagles staff. Like he's been in the NFL and he's been at some big time programs in college. But it's that simple for me. If he's good enough for Saban, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it's that easy. Yeah. All I know is what I can read in his bio. So I have nothing else to to add from from what you said. But I will say this. You know, one of the things that, and it's not like this is necessarily his design or anything, but one of the things that I really like about Alabama is the length in their secondary, their corners and safeties look like, uh, you know, look like guards on a basketball team, just long and lean and uh, are fast and can, you know, super athletic guys. And I know the last defensive staff was trying to get bigger and more length out on the edge at corner. That's what we saw that move with Key Lawrence, putting him out there. So I think that's probably going to be something that we continue to see. And, um, you know, recruiting, if you can if you can bring those guys in and develop them, I mean, that's the development at corner has probably been the biggest Achilles heel for the University of Oklahoma over the last decade. We've had some really good individual players, but development as a group has, I think, held our defense back more than anything. Yeah. So uh, we'll see when that becomes official and all those things. But yeah, I don't know a ton about the guy, but if he was good enough for Nick Saban, good enough for me. Now, some people are like, well, Saban's letting him go. Don't care. Saban hired him. Nick Saban, the best coach to ever do it. So some people are like, oh, the Bama fans are happy to see him go. Once again, I don't care. Nick Saban hired him to his staff. That's all I need to know. It, like, that's it. That's where it stops for me. Like, hey, did Nick Saban want him? The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> cool. We're good. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, he had a, uh, what, top five draft pick last year at corner or top 10. Yeah. 
I think he just got there to Bama. I think it was just this season, but we'll we'll yep. give him credit for it. It's fine. Yep. It's fine. We'll give him credit for it. Why not? Okay, birthday shout outs. Happy Woo. seventh birthday. Lucky number seven to Bobby Melton. Happy birthday, Bobby. Happy a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Happy 11th birthday to Lillian Stone all the way out in California. Listen out there in Cali. Happy birthday, Lillian. Happy birthday to Tiffany Stewart, whose husband would not provide the age. Smart man. Smart man. Smart (laughs) man. Happy birthday, Tiffany. Happy 50th birthday to Jennifer McCauley, the big 5-0. Big 5-0. Happy birthday, Jennifer. Happy 38th birthday. Listen to this duo of friends. Happy 38th birthday to Booger Johnson. And happy 39th birthday to Patch Wolf. Booger and Patch. Happy birthday, guys. What a, what a duo. I love it. Anyone that's 38 and has maintained the, the name Booger, you got to love them. Love it. Happy 30th birthday to Tyler Stevenson. Happy 30th, Tyler. Happy 30th birthday to Cody Parmenter. Love Cody. that name. 30 happy birthday happy birthday to kim baker our number one listener in paris france ted wow how about that happy birthday kim wee wee kim see what i did there yeah that's pretty good thank you thank you and congratulations to dan and betsy henson on the birth of hayes henson big deal happy birthday hayes congratulations dan and betsy and we, we just got a last-minute one. Came in as we started recording. A birthday shout-out to a new Sooner that will be born this Thursday, Winnie Hanson. Winnie, that? love that name. Happy birthday, Winnie. And then this is an interesting one. Ted, Miss Imhoff, your yeah. senior year English teacher at Fort Gibson, would like you to wish her a happy 65th birthday. Happy birthday, Miss Imhoff. 65 it's a good one great teacher all right let's let's preview the national title game with cole kublik but first do you own a business if you do you need insurica in your life insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout oklahoma texas and the southwest insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information for many insurance carriers They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Guys, winter is here, but does the weather really matter? Because it's always hard seltzer season, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Sonic Hard Seltzer from Coop Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it in the hot tub, by the fire, and at the tailgate. You can buy 12 packs of the iconic Sonic drive-in flavors like Cherry Limeade and Ocean Water or you can grab a citrus variety pack or a tropical variety pack. Find it at your local grocery, convenience, and liquor stores. All right. Here's our man. Here's Cole Kublik. It's our pleasure to be joined by one of the hardest working men in all of college football media. He hosts 
McElroy and Kublik in the morning on Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. He's quite possibly the most handsome man I know. You can see him on, you can hear him on SiriusXM. You can see him all over the ESPN platforms. He is Cole Kublik. What's going on, man? What's up, fellas? I'm great. Doing well. Uh, just trying to wrap up bowl season here. Got one more to go. So excited about it, but it's uh, everything's good. Hope you guys are having a happy new year. Yeah, before before we talk about that, that last game we've got coming on Monday, L- looking at the semifinal games, when you look at what Bama did to Cincinnati and you look at what Georgia did to Michigan, Cole, uh, no one covers the SEC closer than you do. Who were you more impressed by in their win in, in those semifinals? Oh, it's definitely Georgia because for me – Going into the playoff, the biggest question I had about any of it, be it matchup, personnel, coaching styles, you know, individuals or position group versus position group, the biggest question that I had was where was Georgia going to be mentally and emotionally? And sometimes I think it's, a, it's, it's difficult even for people outside of the footprint here in the Southeast to understand how far that pendulum swung when Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. I mean, that that number one seed was taken away. The Heisman Trophy was won that day. Um, The unstoppable, insurmountable object, removable wall defense that Georgia had was no longer that. That that was gone. Not to mention the mental hurdle of Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban, Georgia versus Alabama. Kirby goes to 0-4 against Nick. Georgia goes to 0-3 against Alabama in the SEC championship game. All being all, all being done, by the way, on the same field that three years prior, Tua came in and stole a national championship from that same program on the exact same field. So I just think that those those demons were all awakened a little bit more as to can this be done? Will this be done? Is it possible? Is it feasible? You guys know those those mental hurdles and obstacles are very real for players, coaches. And, and I think sometimes, too, we we go a little bit too far with that. Is, you know, I was like I was asked on an interview this morning that I did is is Nick Saban in Kirby Smart's head. Does he own rent in Kirby Smart's head? And I think we immediately view that as someone who walks into an event and just physically cannot contain themselves like that, that a quarterback can't even put his hands on the center because they're trembling. So bad. Oh, I can't take the snap or a batter who gets in against Nolan Ryan. And he's like, oh, I can't even hold my bat. I'm so scared. It doesn't have to be that to be in someone's head. It's does it affect you to the point that your decision-making is different? Does it alter your demeanor and how you react or act in that event? And I think that's where that impact could be very real because I thought Kirby was, a little too aggressive in the previous matchup. I thought some of the stuff they did on defense was almost nonsensical. And that's a very precision-based pressure group that they have. And it almost felt like they just said, here we are. We're better than you at it. And so we're just going to go do what we do. And nobody does that against Alabama. When you're playing a team that's as or almost as or more talented than you are, you guys know it's, it's it's scheme and execution at that point. And I didn't feel like that was the emphasis for Kirby and his coaching staff going into the Alabama game last time. So Georgia answered that question for me. There is no mental, emotional layover 
Physically, they showed up. Emotionally, they showed up. They look faster. They look bigger. They look stronger. They look like they wanted it more. So I took all of that and put it to rest because that was my biggest question going into the playoffs. So obviously, I think I came away more impressed with Georgia. You touched on a little bit there, but like forget the middle aspect of it because you know I, I think everyone's kind of aware of that situation. But X's and O's wise, how much can we take from the SEC championship? And, and Alabama and how they really dismantled that defense through through the air. Is, is there something that we can look at there that we feel like is going to carry over, or do you feel like Georgia's going to have answers to that? I think, I think a little bit of both, Teddy, and I think the carryover that if I'm a Georgia fan I'd be concerned about is the lack of an ability to get home. And, you know, I think a, a, it's not just Jordan Davis up front for that defense. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys that have the ability to be able to get to the quarterback. And it just felt like Georgia was not capable of doing it, or at least consistently they weren't able to do it. And so that would be a big concern for me. Now, on the flip side of that, Alabama's obviously got some issues on the offensive line. Two of your starters left the game against Cincinnati. What's it going to look like? How healthy are they going to be? I think you know it's not just Jordan Davis. It's Devonta Wyatt, it's Jalen Carter, it's Nolan Smith, it's Quay Walker. There are a lot of different guys that have that ability, and they just couldn't do it consistently against Alabama the first time around. So I think that can carry over, and in, in maybe not in a positive way. But one thing that I don't think will carry over is how the secondary is managed, because without John Mechie, that changes who Alabama is. And you saw it against Cincinnati. Jamison Williams all of a sudden is your possession guy on third downs. He's working the middle of the field a little bit more. There's more intermediate routes that he's going to have to work, basically trying to get him the ball, but also because you don't have that other target. So I think Georgia now has the luxury to be able to say there's one true concern in the passing game if we want to double him, if we want to bracket him, if we want to press him to reroute him, knowing that we have safety help over the top, we can do that and not have to be as concerned about what might be on the other side, what might be lined up somewhere else. It's not that Alabama doesn't have any other weapons. They do, but Mechie's got, I think, 95 catches this year, 92 catches this year. I mean, you, you saw when Williams went out, and, I mean, Mechie's got 96 for 1142. It's stupid. So, and, and all we talk about is Jamison Williams. When, Mechie, when Williams went out of the Iron Bowl, I think Mechie had, like, 23 targets. In that game, I mean, it's like he was then the guy that they had to go to and they had to attack with. So I think structurally that will allow Georgia to change some things and maybe not be in as many positions of danger with being taken advantage of in coverage. Because now you're not going to have to worry about two of those guys. It's really just one of those guys that you have to be concerned about. Brian Robinson was banged up going to the SEC title game. He, he looked very much healthy uh, against Cincinnati. Do you think that maybe Georgia's so concerned about what Alabama and Bryce Young did in the passing game in the first matchup? Do you, do you think that Bama, even with those O-line issues and those question marks, do you think Brian Robinson in that running game could get going a little bit or no? No. They're not doing to that Georgia front what they just did to Cincinnati. And – I'm, I, would, I would love to sit next to Teddy Lehman and watch that Cincinnati defensive film because the linebacker play was not good. I, that's, that's as nice as I can say it. And 
physically up front, I thought the D-line would hold up a little bit better. They didn't. But this is a different animal that's coming in now. I mean, the, this is – you're going to get two 320-plus pound defensive tackles in the game at the same time. And you're going to get heavy-handed defensive ends that can play very physical football at the point of attack. They're not going to push this group around. And I think you saw that last time. One of the big adjustments that I thought Bill O'Brien made in the first matchup was basically to say – we're, we get in trouble when teams pressure to the back. And Durante Jones, LSU defense coordinator, did a great job of it. And we had him the next week. And I asked him, I said, was there any significance in why you pressured to the back as much as you did? And he kind of just looked at me. And he said, yeah, no, that was, it was strategic. Because you think about any team that's RPO or play action based. Now, not necessarily old school play action based, but new school play action based. When you run an RPO, you have to have a run fake. So what does the back have to do? He has to leave wherever he is. So if you know that a team does that 30, 40 times a game, 25 times a game, you're going to win the numbers game and pressuring to that side because there's now a body gone. And I'm surprised more teams didn't pick up on it earlier in the year, but almost every drop that Bryce Young takes up to the SEC championship game, there was some sort of a ball fake, be it play action or RPO. Well, what Bill O'Brien did is said, we're not going to go as RPO play action heavy. We're going to leave the back and therefore not be down to me on that side of our protection. And that's one of the reasons I think they were able to hold up so well against Georgia last time. So now he'll have the ability to maybe mix both of those. But still, that defensive line is too big, too strong, too physical, too nasty for Bama to just say, oh, yeah, we're going to run right at you. We're going inside zone, outside zone. We're going to hand it off to Robinson 25 times, and we expect to sort of control the tempo of the game that way. That that part of this game will not take place. It just won't. And, and I think Evan Neal is fantastic. Um, I think whoever's in at center, McLaughlin or Dowcourt, they've both played good ball this year. But I don't know if EQ or Owens are going to start, are going to play, are going to be 80%, 40%. I have no idea. But it doesn't really matter because that group's not pushing the Georgia front around. They're just not. Well, <sighs> I like Stetson Bennett. I think he's done a good job with what they've asked him to do. Well, you look at this title game, Mac Jones last year, Joe Burrow in 19. I mean, to win this game, typically you've had to have a unbelievable quarterback and fantastic play at quarterback is, is the discrepancy here quarterback wise in Alabama's favor. Is that too much for Georgia to overcome? Probably. And I think it's if we went down, you know, we kind of had some fun on, on our, my show this morning with McElroy. Like I remember when I was at Auburn, our school newspaper was the Plainsman. And on Thursdays, you'd get the Plainsman and we would be playing Mississippi State or whatever. And it would have the two teams and then the position groups and the checks, you know, so like O-line, Auburn, D-line, Mississippi State. And I remember as a player, I would always sit there, look at that and think, who gives a shit because the O-lines aren't playing each other. Right. Like the tight ends aren't playing one another. Like our receivers aren't trying to cover their receivers. Like at least match up against who's going to be matching up. But if you played that game with these two teams, I think Georgia would have the slight edge. But it comes back down to quarterback and head coach. And to me, that is most likely going to end up being the difference in this game. And with what Bryce Young's able to create on his own, with what he's able to do with his accuracy, and then with what Bill O'Brien is able to do with him in the game. That offense runs through him. This is not an offense that, you know, you guys see it. It's not a look-at-me offense. 
they'll check with me offense. They don't come to the line of scrimmage and look and see and then get a new play. Like it all goes through him. He has a lot of responsibility and he has a lot of freedom at that line of scrimmage because he's that good and he sees things extremely well. So I, I think that I think the differential in quarterback, the gap is that big. And the other part of what you said, and we've talked about this this morning too, it's not just quarterbacks, but it feels like big time wide receiver play in this game has also happened the last couple of years. You need a quarterback, but you also need some, I mean, look at what Jamar Chase is doing right now with the Bengals. I mean, this, it should be no surprise what he did to that Clemson defense. Devonta Smith, it should be no surprise what he did to Ohio State last year. So you got to have a couple of those frisbee catching dogs, as Mark Packer would say. And even with the injuries Alabama has, I almost lean their group a little bit more. That The Georgia receiver group is just not super dynamic. They're not. Pickens can be, but the rest of them are just solid. They're, they're just they're, – they're not – and a lot of guys that are going to wow you and take over a game, so to speak. And maybe George does it in this game. I think he's got four catches. or played in four games. He's got like five or six catches. So he's healthy enough to do it, but I don't know if they're really going to actually push that much of the game plan in his direction. Uh, I'm with you when it comes to you got to have those like big play pass catchers to win this game. But we saw what James Cook was able to do uh, against Michigan, but is is it possible that Brock Bowers is kind of the key to this game for Georgia? Like he he had a good SEC title game. Is, is he the guy that could kind of swing this thing for the dogs offensively? Well, here's the one problem: is Brock Bowers is not hiding from anyone anymore. That's just that's just not happening. And not that he, I mean, he's their leading receiver, and not that he's really been hiding from people for a long time. But what's weird about it is, I had the Georgia spring game. And I talked to Kirby a lot about Darnell Washington, and I love John Fitzpatrick. He gets no credit. I think he's a solid blocker. I think he does a lot of the dirty work, heavy lifting for this team, and no one ever talks about him. But then we get into the game, and I see 19 moving around a little bit. And I'm like, Coach, who's, who's this kid? What? And they made it clear, members of that staff, that they were trying to hide him in the spring game and that they essentially knew what they had on their hands and they didn't want a lot of other people to know going into the season. So that's that can't happen anymore. Now, it's not that Alabama didn't know who he was. It's not that Tennessee didn't know who he was later in the year. I mean, he had, he had been playing, but I do think he's taken on a, a little bit of a new role as sort of the playmaker on that offense. Now, I love what Munkin did with Cook in the Michigan game because I think he is their – I think he's their most dynamic player, period. And – to move him, force feed him the football. I think that has to happen. But I do think Brock Bowers could be the X factor because who, how are you matching up with him? And, and the, I mean, same thing goes for Cook because if you're lining Bowers up as a tight end and moving him out or you're lining Cook up as a running back and moving him out, your defense has been dictated by 11 or 12 or 22 or 13, whatever it is, as a running back and a tight end. So Pete Golding's going to have to be – really intelligent with how he dials up his defensive personnel based on what Georgia has in the game, probably knowing that Cook's going to move out a lot, Bowers is going to move around a lot, and not necessarily be an H or a tight end or anything like that as to who they designate is going to be covering him. Christian Harris is going to be really valuable because Christian Harris played corner in high school and moved to Will just so he can do these kind of things on this Alabama defense. He's that fast, and he hasn't had an amazing year. He had a little bit of a letdown year based on what a lot of people thought he was going to have, myself included. 
but he has the speed to be able to negate some of that. I don't think any linebacker in the country is just matching up with those two, either one of them. You're just not. I mean, there's too many advantages for an offensive player at that point. So you've got to have somebody with better cover skills if you're going to man them up. And that's it could be a, a legit matchup problem, but I would imagine going in, it's a major emphasis for Alabama as to how to try to take him away. I want to go back to the mental warfare part of this real quick. And you guys know this. Locker rooms are really smart. Now, individually, the players may be all stupid, uh, but as a group, locker rooms are really smart. And I bet there's a sense from the Georgia locker room that Coach Saban's got our coach's number, right? There's there's something going on there. He's got his number. Do you think Kirby Smart has to do something uh, in this preparation or maybe in the game plan to win his team over to say, like, I'm not scared of Saban. We're not scared of Alabama. We're going out. We're not going out cautious. We're not playing to lose the game. We're getting aggressive. Is there something maybe in the game plan that he's going to have to do to to prove that to his team that they're going out there to win the thing? It's a great point about the locker room. And even if it's not a part of the conversation in the locker room, Teddy, they're hearing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, Twitter, you know, watching friends TV, radio, friends, classmates, whatever, they're hearing it that, you know, hey, you just – you guys can't – he can't get it done against Nick, and that's that. I don't think it's something in the game plan, though, but there is one thing that I think he can do that would go a long way in telling his team it's okay, so to speak, and that you can go win this game. And it's pretty simple. It's relax. I think that's it. I think it's that easy. Because if you watch him – I mean, watch him at the end of the half of the Michigan game, and he's losing his mind on Stetson Bennett, which he didn't hit. Stetson didn't handle it well. The time management was poor, but I mean, I forget what they were up 21 seven or something like, and even if they were up 34 to seven or 14 to seven, nobody watching that game thought Michigan had a chance to win it. You were in control of that game is the point. And he's, ah, he's losing his mind. He's yelling, he's pointing his finger. And in the interview, he's like, Stetson blew it. This and then that he's got to relax. And I think if, if he can sort of calm down, I know the, the intense part is somewhat a part of who he is and getting the guys pumped up and ready to play. But I also think that there is a tightness that begins to show up there. And kind of like what you're alluding to, I think your players see like, oh, hell, like he's wound up today. Like, this is not good. And so I think I think finding his calm through this week and maybe even leading into this game could be very valuable for Kirby Smart. There's a couple substances out there for that. We'll, we'll, see, what, <laughs> we'll see what Kirby uh, uh, dials up. But uh, – let you go on a simple one, man. How do you see this thing going? Like we mentioned, from a matchup perspective, I'm really intrigued with how Alabama's offensive line looks when they take the field and how healthy they are because they played phenomenal football the last time around. And if they can hold up 75, 85% as well as they did last time, they're going to win the football game. And I, I do think that no John Mechie is going to make a difference. But we've seen other guys in this Alabama receiving course step up at different points in time here late in the year. You know, you go back to the Iron Bowl when Williams goes out and Ja'Cory Brooks is making a few plays. And then you go to the Georgia game after Mechie was out and Treshawn Holden's making a few plays. Slade Bolden 
has made some plays against Cincinnati. So different guys are stepping up in different ways. You still have Jaleel Billingsley. You still have Cam Latu. You still have JoJo Earl. Those are other guys that have made plays throughout the course of the year that could potentially be guys to sort of help carry the rest of that and shoulder the rest of that. Um, And I think coverage-wise, how Kirby and Dan are able to maneuver some things because of no John Mechie is going to be interesting to watch. I think the fact that Dan Lanning is now the head coach at Oregon and not interviewing for multiple head coaching jobs leading into this game could also benefit him to a certain extent and benefit their plan and maybe just relax him a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's quarterback and head coach. And we can go O-line, D-line, receivers, DBs, running backs, linebackers. We can go all through it and talk about every matchup, every way possible. And you know what? It's going to be really close every time because I can sell you that Georgia's got the better D-line and I can say that Alabama's got the better D-line. I can sell you linebackers back and forth, DBs back and forth, receivers, I'm going to probably lean Alabama. Tight ends, I'm going to probably lean Georgia. Running backs, I'm going to lean Georgia. But quarterback goes to Alabama. And go back to the Iron Bowl when he walked that team back down the field in Jordan-Hare Stadium to tie that game and then go win it or jumping out on Georgia the way that he did, or battling through the LSU game the way that he did, he's been put in a lot of different situations that weren't necessarily comfortable and found ways to win. I also think Alabama can play more styles of game and win than Georgia can. And Georgia, I think Georgia wants a fist fight. And I think that's what they showed against Michigan. And they said, we think you want one too, but let's see how bad you want it. And Georgia wanted it more. I think if they go try to take a fist fight to Alabama, Alabama can hold up just fine. And if that means that it's 17-13 with 2.05 left in the fourth quarter, I think Nick Saban says, we'll take that. As long as we get the ball last, we're good. As long as I can give the ball to nine at the end, let's see how it plays out. I'll roll my dice on that one. I'll push all my chips to the middle of the table if we're down three, four, six, and I get to give the ball to number nine with just enough time left to move down the field. I think he'd be a fine play in that game. Georgia doesn't want to shoot out. Bama would love it. They would love to run that thing up and down the field for the entire game. So I just think that there are a few more avenues in which Alabama will be able to find their way to win. The mental part of it is very real. And I just think that when you get to a game like this, the talent is close. It's it's maybe slanted one way or the other. It's head coach and quarterback, man. And Alabama's got the advantage at quarterback. And Alabama's got the advantage at head coach. Yep. I'm I'm with you. I, I, one team's got Nick Saban, the other doesn't. It's, <laughs> it's that simple for me, man. It's like Cole. my old quarterback in college used to tell us, football ain't hard. <laughs> we try to make it hard, but guys, football ain't hard. They got the better quarterback. They got the better coach. Yep. We'll see. Now, crazy I mean, things I, happen. I mean, it, anything can happen, but. If you're asking me the way I think it's going to play out, two teams that are pretty close in talent, two teams that have accomplished a lot this year, I'm I'm probably going to them. And not to mention, one just beat the hell out of the other one a month ago. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. Cole, you're the man. Uh, As always, man, appreciate your time. You're the best. Absolutely. Enjoy. Always enjoy being with you guys. Look forward to doing it again soon. No one gives a more detailed breakdown than our boy Cole. Man. Beast, old school, love it. He's he, he's the best. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. 
But first. Concussions are a part of football. They don't have to be a part of your pool party. Nip the slip with Soft Rocks Rubber Safety Surfacing and spend more time enjoying your outdoor parties and less time worrying about a slip and fall on your pool deck. Soft Rock of OKC specializes in customized slip-resistant decorative rubber surfacing for your pool decks, patios, walkways, and gym floors. Local business owners Heidi and Cody Clark at Soft Rock of OKC are ready to help you prevent that next slip. Visit softrock.com slash OKC. That's S-O-F-T-R-O-C dot com slash OKC for more information. The Clarks also own the Driveway Company. The Driveway Company has tailored solutions to eliminate all of your driveway problems. They can repair cracks, clean and seal your rotting grass field joints to prevent water damage, ultimately saving you thousands of dollars in future repairs. Visit thedrivewaycompany.com slash OKC for all of your driveway repair needs. Learn more about Soft Rock and the Driveway Company by visiting their Facebook and Instagram pages or by calling 405-294-9834. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, didn't necessarily win the football game, but Brad Davis, hot sauce, former offensive lineman at the University of Oklahoma, former teammate, uh, got to be the interim head coach at LSU, was really happy for him. I thought he, considering the roster that they had, thought he did a really good job. He is uh, a rock star on the offensive line uh coaching world he's had a really nice run up he's been to a lot of good places arkansas lsu um i think he's uh he's got some really good things in store last night was not great uh kansas state uh got after him but uh he had a he had a bad roster to deal with but i was i was really happy that he got that opportunity that was really cool to see he had a wide receiver playing quarterback i mean what's he supposed to do with that I mean, right. what, 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 what is Brad Davis supposed to do with that? Now he is, he's being retained. So clearly he's, he's got a great reputation, reputation of Brian Kelly wants him there. And my only concern for him is Brian Kelly. None of those assistants came with him. Yeah. Not a one. And that makes you wonder of, uh, about how much fun how enjoyable it is to work for that man right and i go back to the comment about the accent him saying i couldn't get my he, he referenced they asked him about the family thing it was so awkward on the broadcast i loved it they asked him but yeah there is uh they're they're gonna have to hammer the portal and i'm sure a lot of guys are gonna want to play at lsu but yeah that better not go on like his head coaching record because that he that entire situation was out of his control. Like that was, Ooh, I'm, I'm happy for Skylar Thompson. That was, yeah. it was cool to see him go out that way after, uh, after, you know, kind of all the injuries in his K state career, but 
God, I can't believe I watched as much of that football game as I did. Oh, I did too. So I, gross. I watched. Uh, I watched most of it. Um, Deuce Vaughn had him another really, really good game, and it was almost shocking. Who was the uh, color guy? I wasn't. Was that Hasselbeck? That's who it sounded like to me. That was Hasselbeck, right? I don't know, but he knew nothing about Deuce Vaughn. He's and- an NFL guy. I don't. I don't understand. <sighs> Well, me or you should have been on the color for that game. It's the like play-by-play okay. guys. Like, w- w- tell me what you like about Deuce Vaughn. He's like, well, he's you know he's shifty, can make guys miss. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> Which, to his defense, accurate, accurate. It is, it is accurate, but oh, I was, I was, I was laughing at that. But um, man, happy for Brad Davis. Um, he's probably going to be miserable coaching for. Uh, Brian Kelly, but I'm glad that he got that opportunity. That's a that's a really cool cool thing to be the the head coach for a game. Yeah. All right. Who do you have as your who? What? That's not English. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Ah, I'm sorry, but it's got to be Baker Mayfield. Ah, right. And now let me ask you something. Nine sacks. He's injured. Did they did they set him up to fail on purpose? I Which he kind of talked about this in the post game. You know, they're calling plays in from the sideline. They're not giving a rookie tackle any help against the best pass rusher in the NFL, TJ Watt, and it absolutely ruined the game for him. I now first of all, it it, it just felt like destiny that the Steelers were gonna win that game. Right. And especially yeah. how about Trey Norwood getting the interception so that Roethlisberger, who, by the way, Ben, take your helmet off, dude. What are you doing? Like, let us see your face. What? what, what I guess I, tears didn't want to see the tears. I, I don't know. We could see through the face mask, Ben. Yeah. We could see your eyes still. I that was weird, but that was really cool that he got to get back out there and take a knee. And oh, man, that Najee Harris touchdown. I can't imagine how many fantasy championships that swung oh my gosh but baker yeah he was getting the hell beat out of him right and any i i did not understand like you don't leave a rookie tackle on an island with tj watt like what do you that's that's bad coaching maybe was it are we are we going conspiracy theory here i there was a lot of people that were saying it that like this they they're not dumb they know who he's blocking they know their quarterback is already banged up. Why? What? What's the? What are you doing here? Why? Why are you? Why are you not chipping? You're not lining a, a tight end up over there. You're giving the guy absolutely no help, and your quarterback, who's already injured, is getting absolutely pummeled. Yeah, I'm. In it, you know, he he already came out and said he's not going to play in that finale against the Bengals. Going to get going to get that shoulder cut on as soon as possible so baker taking care of himself now but man part of me wonders how much like because he's he's a tough dude right we all know and that's that's one of the reasons OU fans love him so much and one of the reasons cleveland fans really like him like that toughness but i feel like that toughness cost him a lot of money this season a lot yeah now we'll see We'll see. Who knows? But yeah, I don't know. 
yeah, it's it's a tough spot to be in in the NFL, right? It's a contract. It's a big contract type of year for him, um, so to speak. So you're injured. You don't want to go play poorly. But you also, you've got a really good team, really good roster. You also don't want to show that they don't need you, right? With with Keenum behind you, a guy that's very capable. So it's a tough spot to be in for him. But I think ultimately you're right that at the end of the day, whenever they sit down for those negotiations, they're not going to say, oh, well, yeah, your numbers here, they're not that good, but you're right, your shoulder was banged up. They're not going to care about that in negotiations when they're talking contracts. Yeah, results-driven business. I, I'm sure he yep. earned a lot of respect in that building from, from his teammates and from the personnel department, but it's about wins and losses. It's about production, and that they were the most disappointing team in the NFL this year, and he didn't play particularly well. So we'll see, but yeah, Isn't it man. crazy how quickly – like a fan base goes from being like wanting one win to being delusional and thinking they're going to win the Super Bowl and just pissed off that they don't. I was That's on a like one in 15 Cleveland Browns team that one in 15 yeah. nuts. Yeah. Ex- expectations change now. They, they do have a good roster is beat up all year and, uh, I don't think anyone was more beat up than Baker that was playing on a consistent basis, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, we're all rooting for six, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what kind of contract he ends up landing. All right. If you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones lineage, single malt whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by whiskey advocate. And you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it perfect to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen, and became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconesdistilling.com and make sure you bank at First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. All right, for my winner of the week, Thought about going with Josh Giddy, man, named Western Conference Ooh. Rookie of the Month again. Dude's a stud. He's just a stud, Ted, the, the Wizard of Oz. I mean, let's go. He's, he's he's legit. He's okay. I may start watching, Gabe. Nice. Also thought about going with Porter Moser's squad. OU basketball played, played number one Baylor tough 
in Waco. That was a tough spot for him. Uh, had a couple guys late. coming. Yeah, had a couple guys coming out of the protocol that were able to play. Just they didn't shoot the three well at all. And man, they got crushed on the glass. Like Baylor was just assaulting them with offensive rebounds. But the Akinjo guy from Baylor was awesome. And it, but it all together, all things considered, a nice performance. But we we don't reward close losses on this podcast. So that they're not my winner of the week. My winner of the week, and I know it's been several days, but we haven't had an episode since it happened. It's Oklahoma State football, man. Mm. I, I'm going to give them the credit that they deserve because that was a hell of a comeback win against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. And Spencer Sanders was awesome. Best game he's ever played in an Oklahoma State uniform. Best game of his career. Not even close. And it was really fun to watch. I mean, they were down 28-7. to seven. I, I won't lie. They got down 28 to seven, Ted. I was in Maui. I went to the golf course. I was like, this thing is <laughs> over. I DVR'd the rest of it. I was like, just in case, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I was like, this is over. I'm going to play. And my God, they came back and they did it with Spencer Sanders' arm to Tay Martin. Tay Martin made some big time catches in that game. Mm-hmm. And then Spencer Sanders was running wild, man. He looked fast yeah. as hell. He looked athletic. He looked, I mean, he looked great. Jalen Warren looked good you know, now that he was healthy. Again, running the football. That defense, though, they made the big plays they had to make in the second half of that game. Colby Harvell Peel with the strip. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez did a great job reading Jack Cohn's eyes. Gets the big interception in that, in that second half. I mean, just big plays from your big-time playmakers on both sides of the ball. And my Gundy's team won 12 games. And they were, what? Two inches from winning the Big 12 championship. And maybe if Jalen Warren plays in that game, they do win. I Who knows? But this is a team. They beat Texas. They beat, beat OU and Bedlam. And they just beat Notre Dame. And there, there's impressive. a reason that Mike Gundy said, hey, we got a logo too. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive, man. And that's a, that is a hell of a season for Oklahoma State football. And I'm going to give him credit for it. Yep, it was. Um, and that's a, a Notre Dame team that is like really built their brand on being a, a tough physical group, win the line of scrimmage. And Oklahoma State was able to run the ball on them, uh, especially late whenever it mattered. Defensively, uh, that pick by Malcolm Rodriguez was awesome. That was fun to watch. That was probably the most entertaining game uh, that I watched throughout the uh, of the big bowl games. Well, no, the Utah uh, Rose Bowl Ohio was State game was great. That was <laughs> that crazy. Game was awesome. Uh, but it, it was awesome, and I think it's great. I'm I'm I think that Mike Gundy has done an unbelievable job at Oklahoma State. I love to give them a bunch of crap, but I think Mike Gundy. And, and what he's done there is it's it's pretty much second to none with the consistency that they've had over uh, his tenure there. Have a, have had a hard time with Oklahoma, but outside of that, they've been really, really good. So hats off. Yeah. Um, for my loser of the week, not about going with the Iowa State fans, right? You You lose your bowl game against against Clemson and Brock Purdy has the most 
Brock Purdy play of all time with a little like volleyball. He, I, I think he was going for the spike. He actually went, he actually went with this, the one handed set. Like it was just, it was the most Brock Purdy play to finish Brock Purdy's career. But so you lose that game, right? But then there's a report from Bruce Feldman saying that Jim Harbaugh may be interested in going back to the NFL, in particular the Las Vegas Raiders opening. And when you look at it, Harbaugh finally beat Ohio State. Michigan won the Big Ten this season. And maybe he does want to go back to the NFL. And if he does, you have to assume that Matt Campbell has to be near the top of the list, if not at the very top of the list for Michigan. Now, Luke Fickle probably up there as well with what he's done at Cincinnati. But after... (laughs) After the way that that bowl game finished, and then you see Harbaugh possibly leaving Michigan as an Iowa State fan, you got to be like, "This is just not a fan of this week. Not great." The whole year, right? You started yeah. off most like, disappointing team in the country going into the season with all of those super seniors coming back and all the talent, and boy, it was just disappointment after disappointment. Um, lose the bowl game, and if you're Matt Campbell this may be just the opportunity that you're looking for because man, I I don't know how Iowa state bounces back with all the guys that they're going to lose. I'm sure they've done a good job developing. That's how they got to the position they're in now, but man, they've got so much seniority on that team production and experience. It's all going to be leaving at one time. And you know, the other side is hardball though. I, they just got spanked in the playoff. They finally made it. Is he saying that, like, this is our peak? Like, this is the best I can do here? Let's- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I wouldn't blame him because yep. that game was not close. They, no, they got throttled. So, but my loser of the week, AFC defenders, because Derrick Henry is back practicing with the Tennessee Titans. And now they have three weeks to add him back to the roster officially. We'll see how the timing works out with that. But broke his foot in week eight. So he's missed eight games. And he is still somehow the sixth leading rusher in the National Football League. When you think about it, like, it's just insane. But Mike Vrabel has done a hell of a job in Tennessee this season. Definitely should be in running for coach of the year. And the Titans have the opportunity to lock up the number one seed in the AFC and a buy and that buy that comes with it with a win over the Texans this weekend. I assume that that's not going to be an issue. And I, I can't imagine we see Derrick Henry in that game. I assume it will be a lot of Deontay Foreman carrying the load for the Titans in that one. But we talk about the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Bills, the Bengals even a lot, but it's the Tennessee Titans that are going to have home field advantage in the playoffs in the AFC. And they, they did a lot of that without having their best player for half the season. And I I don't think they're going to come out of the AFC, but still, man, they've done some really good stuff. Uh, That, that, that roster, uh, they deserve some credit that that coaching staff, that front office, but Derrick Henry is coming back, and it's going to be cold in the playoffs. If you're an AFC defender and you end up playing the Titans, you're like, oh, my gosh. A fresh 
Derek Henry in cold weather. It sounds like a defender's nightmare. It sounds, oh, it sounds so terrible. Yeah, and, you know, if they can get a couple of wins right about the time he's reaching back into peak form, uh, they're going to be closing in on, like, the AFC Championship and, and Super Bowl. So that's huge. If he's back and healthy and the full-on Derrick Henry, that's an advantage that no one else is going to have. Uh, it'll be great watching uh, the Patriots beat him in Nashville in the AFC Championship game. That is That is very possible. Very possible. And on that note, episode 178 in the books, we'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius X and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week and a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening and do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. 